Hello. Hi. <laughs> See, last week, I was a bit, I was a bit sad, as I shared with you guys, because Tottenham Hotspur got beat by Liverpool in the Champions League final. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, this week, there weren't any football games at all. <laughs> Nothing happened. Nobody lost anything. Okay, if you want to find uh, the book of Acts in your Bible, please, uh, I would encourage you to do that. If you can't, the words will appear magically behind me on the screen. Um, before we get into that, I just wanted to say, when we were worshipping just now, uh, Sasha took a moment and just encouraged us all to sing and to sing like a new song, um, which for some of you might have been a bit of an uncomfortable thing. You might not have been used to that. Um, but just to reassure you, that's actually wonderfully biblical. It says in uh, Ephesians 5, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So one of the things we do when we gather together in worship is we sing, not just because it's a fun thing to do, but because the Bible tells us to. And when we do that, God works within us. And not just, it's brilliant to sing words that other people have written, but sometimes it's good just to sing, like just let the overflow of what God is doing in your heart to come out. So when we do that, please don't feel in any way like, what the heck is going on? It's very much in the Bible. But also, like me, sometimes you might think, I'm not actually very good at singing. Like, I don't really have that kind of voice. Well, sometimes what I do is, when we do that sort of thing, I'll just pray, um, you know, just in words rather than singing. I guess a bit like rapping, you know, it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think that's what Paul was getting at in Ephesians 5. Sing, or if you can't sing, then, you know, rap. Okay, uh, also just before we start, as we've been going through this series um, on the work of the Holy Spirit, which we've been doing for a few weeks, we'll do for a few more weeks, I've been trying to recommend some books as we go. This book is called Surprise by the Power of the Spirit by a writer called Jack Deere, which is an excellent book, particularly if you want to understand issues around healing and miracles, then this will be very provocative to you and really make you think. So I want to encourage you to get hold of that book. Uh, you can borrow it from me for a small fee, if you would like also. Um, and we're going through this series on the Holy Spirit because we want to grab hold of something uh, as a church because this is, this is one of our key values of who we are. Uh, we would describe our, ourselves as a, as a charismatic church. That word charismatic may terrify you or excite you or you may have never heard of it. All three responses are totally fine. Um, don't get too much hang up on the word. What we're trying to do is build the sort of church that we read about in the New Testament, build the sort of church we read about in the book of Acts where you see these people who God comes upon them and empowers them and sends them out into the world for his mission and sends his power, the Holy Spirit, to work within them. So through this series, we're just trying to spend a little bit of time to look at what that means and how that works. 
and how that can work within us as a community. So probably the best place to really unpack that, particularly on Pentecost Sunday, which is today, uh, is in the story of that day, why we celebrate it, Pentecost. So we're going to read from Acts, uh, a few verses from Acts chapter 1, and then the start of Acts chapter 2, and then we'll go through some more of Acts 2 as we go through the message. So here we go. So this is from verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. Um, it says, while staying with them, so this is Jesus with his disciples, so this is after his death and resurrection, but before his ascension to heaven, Hamel's Ark, which is a few weeks ago, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If we keep going. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let me pray. Jesus, we, uh, we read these words and we see this picture of this wonderful story of how you gathered those, your first disciples, the first believers, the first church, I guess, and instructed them to, to wait for you to move amongst them. And now we can look back upon that day as, as, a, as a turning point, as knowing that for us as your people now, uh, you've not left us alone in the world, but you've sent your power to work in us, to live in us, that as your church, as the body of Christ, we're also the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are dwelling amongst us and in us as a community right here, right now, this morning. And we want to celebrate that, that that means we now have this inner witness pointing our hearts to Jesus, to your grace and mercy. But also you've given us this strength, this power for the mission you've called us to do. And we want to step into that today by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you guys would have, would have well, you would have all seen the, heard the two storms that hit Amsterdam this week. Uh, on, uh, I think it was Tuesday evening, Joe and I were out uh, in the, the city having a meal with a, with a friend, and on the way back, we got completely drenched in the rain. You know, that sort of everything, all the layers, totally soaked. And then the, very, the next day, there was another storm, and it knocked out the power in our house. So we woke up on Thursday morning, and, and my coffee machine wasn't working. Ugh, goodness me, how distraught. 
And it did take me a good two hours to actually wake up. My family can testify to that point. Fortunately, we got the power back again. But that, that morning, I was cycling uh, from, from home to here, to the Vonalkirk, and I came through the, the park, and there was a massive tree that got blown down in the wind and lots of other branches and stuff everywhere. If you went through the park, there was kind of this scene of devastation. But what really struck me was how the uh, city authorities kind of swung into action. And uh, I went for a walk at lunchtime a few hours later, and they were already hard at work chopping up this tree that had fallen down and clearing up the branches. By the time I went home in the evening, they had done an awful lot more. By the next day, it was all gone. Like, the park was totally clear. Like, you wouldn't have known anything had happened, which I found bizarre because coming from England, that's not how they tend to deal with these sorts of things. In England, what would happen if they would have sent out a couple of guys and they would have arrived and they would have had a cup of tea, you know, a bit of milk, two sugars, uh, and they would have looked at the tree and they would have looked at their saw and they would have thought, this isn't going to work. So they would have come back the next day and they would have brought a bigger saw, they'd have had some tea, they would have tried to start chopping the tree up and it would, it would have been a bit hard work, so they would have given up. And then what they would have done would have made it into kind of a tourist attraction <laughs> or, you know, a piece of just landscaping in the park. We'll just leave it there, it'll be fine. And then a few weeks later, a small child would have walked up the tree, you know, as it's all fallen down, and the child would have fallen off and maybe broken, the, broken its arm. And then what would have happened is everybody would have, would have argued about whose fault it was, and 52% of people would have said, it's because of the EU, right? <laughs> it's because of Jean-Claude Juncker and Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron. It's their fault. And the other 48% of the people would have said, no, no, this is to do with Nigel Farage and... Boris Johnson and Donald Trump. It's their fault because they hate trees. And then they would have argued about it and then nothing would have happened. That tree would have remained there forever and ever. And I can't remember why I'm telling you that story. It was a good story, thank you. Where were we? Okay, the park. Right. <laughs> the point I'm somehow, or well, one of the points I'm trying to make is... Um, it, what struck me was, was how quickly everything was cleared up. And there's this scene of kind of devastation. This dramatic, powerful storm had ripped through the park. And then, you know, you could, would go through it now and you wouldn't have known anything had happened. And often that's how the church, Christianity, treats this Pentecost story. As something that's happened in the past something we read about and think that's dramatic and powerful, but it doesn't really affect us. It's, it's a, a distant thing, like a past story, a bit, of, a bit of news from yonder, which we've moved on from now. We don't need to worry about. Often our Christianity will kind of will celebrate uh, Christmas and Easter, rightly so, but this Pentecost Sunday we tend to think, well... I guess, I, guess it's kind of, I guess it's kind of maybe the end of something or the start of something. Or, you know, we don't really know even what it's really about. We don't really pay a lot of attention to it. But for Jesus' disciples that he gathered and said, wait for the promise of the Father to come, those words would have, would have rippled through them because actually that's... <laughs> They would have known their Old Testaments. 
they would have understood that what Jesus is promising them is a promise that comes all the way through Scripture. There's this prophetic hope in the Bible that one day God will come and pour his spirit on all people. Read about it in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in, in Numbers 11, when uh, some of uh, Moses' men start, start prophesying, and someone says, comes to Moses and says, Why that? we need to stop them from prophesying. And he says, oh, but one day all of God's people would prophesy. There's this hope rippling through the Old Testament. So the disciples would have heard that, and it wouldn't have been a surprise to them what Jesus said. They'd have been like, yes, that's exactly what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for this hope to come. You know, even John the Baptist had come to them and said, one, there's someone who's coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. They, they were waiting for this, for this moment. And they get a little bit carried away. The disciples, the verse didn't come up on the screen, but they, they immediately skip to the, the kind of the fulfillment of that. You know, when, when is Israel going to be victorious? When is the enemy going to be defeated? They, they flip to the end which is often what we do. We flip to the, the end of the story. You have to understand, we live in a, an, an age now where we were kind of talking about it a little bit last week when we were talking about this idea of sanctification, how God changes us. We live with this hope inside us that one day all things will be made new, that will be made new, that will be totally transformed. And yet our reality is an already and a not yet. God's at work in us now to make us more like him. And we're made holy by the work of Jesus. And yet somehow my life doesn't always look like perhaps it should do. And it's the same when, it, when we look at the work of the Spirit in this Pentecost story, is we can jump straight to one day everything will be made new. One day Christ will return victorious. One day this perfection will come. But for now, we live in this, this not yet landscape of God's called us into something new, but things don't always look like we might expect them to, which is why I think we often struggle with this Pentecost story, because we re -meet, and as we go through the book of Acts, you read of these dramatic things that take place, and you think, well, why doesn't our church look like that? Why don't our lives, why aren't we surrounded by healings, dramatic, powerful healings, incredible prophecies? Sometimes I pray for people who are sick and they don't get healed. Why? And the reality is, the book of Acts in many ways is, is the highlights, okay? It doesn't tell all the stories, but it picks out this, this happened here, this happened here, over a period of probably about 30 years. So I'm sure there were lots of the questions that we asked that they were probably asking, asking as well. But what we can get so lost in that of trying to understand that. So many questions about why and this, why does this happen and this doesn't happen, that we can sometimes forget what this Pentecost Day is really all about and what it means for us as his church, as his community. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at, first of all, what Pentecost is, and I'm going to read uh, a few more verses from the book of Acts, which will flip up in a moment, from verse 5 to 13. So this is the next bit of the Pentecost story. It says, now they were dwelling 
in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Thecla and Pamphylus, places I can't pronounce, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Kind of a fairly miraculous story of what's happened. So what's going on here? This kind of slightly crazy thing that's taken place. The Holy Spirit has fallen on the disciples. These tongues of fire resting upon them. And then they start kind of praying. And out of their mouths come languages that they don't know themselves. But other people recognize that are telling them, the, as it says in verse 11, the mighty works of God that aren't in their own languages, but in the languages of the people that, that hear it. So what's happening here? First of all, what's happening is there's a, well, this might be a, a weird way to mark it, but there's a new age is dawning now. Something new is happening. Uh, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. Perhaps the best way to describe it would be the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus through the apostles, by his spirit. Okay, it's, it, this isn't, Jesus has left and now over to you guys. It's Jesus has, has ascended to heaven, but remains with us by his spirit to work through us. Because what Peter does is he stands up and he, he addresses this crowd and first of all says, look, we're not drunk from your first question, while wow, these people babbling, this looks crazy, what's going on? We're not drunk. But then he, he quotes from the book of Joel, and then he begins to explain to them who Jesus is. He doesn't say, okay, let me give you an unpacking theology of the Holy Spirit. He says, let me tell you about Jesus, and he unpacks that story. He's making the point, this is all the work of the risen, exalted Jesus who now we're seeing the Spirit has come to ignite this new kingdom, this new plan that he's working out in the world now, that Jesus is now victorious. He's defeated death and sin. He's resurrected, he's ascended, and that's the Lord of the kingdom that we're part of now. And Pentecost marks this kind of dawning of a new age, of a new time. And it's also an age not just of Jesus' new kingdom, but of his church. This is the age of us, the restored people of God, his community that he sent into the world. Because I guess you might be thinking, okay, you know, lots of interesting thoughts here, but what t explain this tongues thing to me, this babbling in other language. And I'm going to explain that a bit further, a bit later on. But it's worth saying here at this point that one of the things that's happening in this story is if you, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible and you read a story in Genesis chapter 11 of what happened at Babel or Babel, where you get this story about how 
the, uh, God's people have begun to depart from him and they've decided that they want to go their own way. And you see this act of rebellion where they decide to build this massive tower, this huge structure to reach up to heaven, not because they're searching for God, but because they want to prove their own self-reliance, their own self-sufficiency, how great they've become. And what happens is God says that he's going to confuse their language so they might not understand one another's speech. So God sees this community of people who've decided they don't need God anymore. They've moved off in rebellion and said, we don't, he's, he doesn't really quite cut it. We need something bigger, better. We need to, what can we achieve by ourselves? And God says, I'm going to confuse you. It gives them all different languages. They can't understand each other, and then they scatter off across the earth. And what's happening in Acts 2 is it's a, it's a reversal of that. Whereas in Genesis, God scatters the people. In Acts 2, he brings them back together. It's his moment of unity where he says, now, now, this, this gospel, this wonderful message of who Jesus is, is for everybody. It's a message of unity. It brings us back together. It's rather than in, in Babel where they were building this tower symbolizing their, their human independence and their, their self-reliance, Acts 2 is bringing us back to the power source, bringing us back together and saying at the center of it, we need God. We need his power to complete his, his mission. It says in Ephesians 2 that we're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens now find this wonderful unity in the gospel, this unity made alive by the spirit within us. His church. I think here in Amsterdam we get to be a glorious picture of that because we're full of people from all sorts of different nations. Just this little taste of what God's global church is like. People from all different tribes and tongues and nations brought together under one banner of Christ. And that's what we see in Acts 2, God bringing his people back together. It's an age of his restoring his people. But it's also an age, or the starting of a new age of power. God's calling us into unity. He's calling us into his kingdom plan. But then he's releasing us with his power out into the world. That's what happens in Acts chapter 2. He said it in, in Acts 1. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. He's going to send power so that we can be witnesses. God's power, the Holy Spirit, to help us on his mission, his plan. That's, it's really important that we get that in our hearts because often we can run to one or other of those we can run to, I just need power. There's this, we hear all these stories and these amazing things of God working and we, we run to it and we get excited about the things, the little bits, the trinkets. And we miss that actually God sent us this power for a purpose, for his mission. And the mission is to make much of Jesus, to proclaim him, who he is, to tell the world about Jesus. That's what the power is for. 
But yet we can also get caught the other way. We can get so excited about our mission that we just start to do it in our own strength and we forget that God's given us something so that we can accomplish this task. He's given us his power for a reason. So let's move on. I'm going to read a few more verses from Acts chapter 2. It says, and in the last days, this is Peter who preaches in Acts 2, and he's quoting from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. It says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, God sends his power on us for his mission. And there's a few distinctives I want to pull out from that. First of all, it's something God sends to, to all his people. It doesn't discriminate. This is, this is for everybody who's a believer in Jesus. We can all have this power at work within us. In a few weeks' time, I think maybe even next Sunday, we're going to talk about what's called the, the charismata or grace gifts, spiritual gifts. And they're gifts of grace. They're given not dependent on how well we've performed, or how holy we've been, but on God deciding that he's going to distribute them amongst his people. And his Holy Spirit is upon us as a people, not because we've reached some kind of superior elite level of Christianity. It's because of his grace. He decides he's going to give us his power. And because you, as you go through the book of Acts, you read this story of very ordinary people. And the, the central characters in the book of Acts are Jesus' uh, apostles, his disciples, so you can read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can read about how they didn't really get what was going on. They kind of got that Jesus was a bit different, and they followed him around, but there's all sorts of times where they completely misunderstand him. They have no idea what's going on, where they say the most stupid things. And then the other central character in the book of Acts is the apostle Paul, who persecuted Christians violently persecuted Christians, and then yet God comes and meets him and transforms him. And these, these people are, the, are at the center of the story to tell us that they're not any different from us, that they're just ordinary people like us, but with extraordinary power like we can have, because his Holy Spirit is for all of his followers, it's a grace power. It's power for all, but it's, it's also power to speak. So we have another feature of 
God's, uh, the disciples here speaking in these languages, let me try and explain a little bit what's going on here, is there's elsewhere in the Bible, it talks, particularly in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the gift of tongues, which I think is slightly different. There's a, there's a prayer language that God gives us which is unintelligible, which you can't understand and other people won't be able to understand, by which we can pray to God. And that's, a, that's a, described in 1 Corinthians 12 as a spiritual gift. Um, and not everybody will receive that. It's not something for everybody, but it's there. I know many people who will pray in tongues. I'll pray in tongues. But what's happening here is slightly different. In that they're praying in a language that they don't understand, but their listeners do understand. They're praying, they're, they're telling the mighty works of God in all sorts of different languages that they'd never heard before. And it's, uh, it's something that God gives them for his, his mission. He's, he's using it to, to draw people to him. I've actually, I've heard this happen myself. I was in a, a conference once, uh, probably about 10 years ago, and I heard a guy called David Carr, who's from Birmingham. Now, if you've ever been to Birmingham in England, it's, they speak with this funny accent of Birmingham, like that. They're very peculiar people. Uh, and he was, just, he was just a regular guy who spoke English with a funny accent and no other languages. You know, he wasn't a particularly highly educated man. He didn't, wasn't fluent in lots of different languages. He spoke English weirdly. That's, that's what I can tell you about him. But I was in this conference, and he's... At the microphone on the stage, he starts praying in tongues. I remember thinking at the time, I don't understand that. You know, maybe someone will come and bring the interpretation of this weird thing that he's doing, because the Bible says that we should do that. Um, but that didn't happen immediately. What happened later on is a lady came up to the stage who was Chinese, and said that guy was praying in Mandarin, and then she translated what, she'd, what he'd prayed. Okay, A guy who didn't speak any languages prayed in the language that God gave him, and it was Mandarin that this Chinese lady understood. Now, many of you in this room are probably perhaps not believing me right now and thinking that's weird or wrong or didn't happen, but it's exactly the same as what happens here in Acts chapter 2, that these people start speaking in languages that they don't understand, but their hearers do now, if you're, particularly if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, a lot of what I said this morning, particularly that story, might absolutely terrify you. You think, Christians are crazy. I thought they were crazy. Now I have proof that Christians are crazy. Well, what I would encourage you to do is don't get hung up on that story. Don't let that be a stumbling block to you. Because actually, the central part of Christianity is the resurrection that Jesus died and rose again. As in, he was dead for three days and then came alive again. Now, that is a far greater miracle. And that, that, that's the question that I would encourage you to explore. Did that happen? If you, not, if you can answer that question, all these other little things will feel very small to you. I don't want you to get hung up on the little things. I want you to get hung up on the fact that Jesus is alive. If you've got questions, come and, come and ask me. I'd love to sit down and talk you through, okay, this is why I believe. This is why many, many, many millions of people all across the world believe that Jesus is alive. 
And we can tell you all about that. And that's the thing I would encourage you to wrestle with. Because once you get hold of that, it changes everything. It changes everything. So the, the, this power is a power for all. It's a power to speak. And it's a power also to, to prophesy. As in not just to speak about um, speak as in speak out words of scripture about God, but to speak prophetic things, things that God has given us, words that he lays upon our hearts to tell people about him. Now, we're going to, uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to look a little bit more about what that means, this idea of prophecy. I'm going to unpack it a little bit this morning. We believe in the, the priesthood of all believers. So every single one of us can have a relationship with God. We don't need a, a pastor or a priest or a monk to somehow be our intermediary, our kind of you know, communicates through to God for us. We don't believe in that. All of us can have a relationship with Jesus. But we also believe that God can speak to all of us. That we can hear God. I don't mean necessarily like a, an audible voice, but I can tell you lots of stories in my own life, partly why me and Joe and our family are here in Amsterdam, been living here for five years, is because God spoke to us. God, I, he made it very clear to us in lots of different ways that we should come and do this. I know there are many other people in the room who have similar stories of God spoken to you. God's prompted you, God's provoked you, or sometimes God's just laid a burden on your heart. I'm passionate about that thing and I don't know why. It's because God's speaking to you through that. He's using that to call you into something. We believe that we can hear from God. And we believe that when it comes to our, our mission, we need to, God to keep speaking through us. Because what happens in the book of Acts, I think there are, in, in total through the rest of the book, there are 59 more references to the Holy Spirit at work. And over half of them are all to do with prophetic acts that are to do with mission. Like the Holy Spirit carries on working through the book of Acts to not only give them, give his people a power to go about mission, but to use them. In, it's even uh, through prophecy or prophetic acts to call people to him. He's at work all the way through this. Now, some of you are probably feeling a bit uncomfortable, and as I said, we're going to get onto this more in, in this series, but we need to remember two verses which are quite key in 1 Corinthians 14, where the first verse, it says, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The end of 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he says, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So we, what, we can get so caught up on what is prophecy and how it works that we can create all sorts of rules and structures and things around it that we shrink it down to this little thing that we're allowed to do but everybody's so terrified of doing it that nobody does it. And yet, actually, what Jesus is encouraging us to do is to earnestly desire it. 
And that's what I would encourage you to do. I'm sure you've got lots of questions and excellent. I'm not trying to bury those questions. I'm saying ask those questions because in the asking the questions, you're desiring something, seeking after something. Earnestly desire these things because some of you might be nervous because you've seen lots of churches that have gone too far. Lots of churches that will say things like prophecy or things like the gift of tongues are, are signs that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you don't do those things, you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. Some churches go too far, I think. But there's an opposite danger as well. Either we think God doesn't work like that anymore, that that's ceased, that God's Holy Spirit doesn't work in that way, or we reduce prophecy down to just teaching or preaching, which that is a prophetic action, but we say that's all it is, or we just don't pursue it. We say, yeah, this charismatic thing, it's, I, I, that's me, yeah, sure, I believe all these verses, but the reality is we're not pursuing it in our lives. We're not earnestly desiring it. And I'm, I'm saying that not to you, I'm saying that as much to myself, as much to us as a church. Are we really pursuing this as a community? You know, I think that's an important question to ask. Are we really seeking, not just in a nice kind of cozy Christian way, in a safe way, but when we're considering our friends and our neighbors and those people that don't know Jesus, are we praying and asking God to help us to tell them about him? I was with uh, Rich Armstrong, who's sitting behind the PA desk at the moment. We were uh, on a trip to England a few months ago. We were waiting to pick up our hire car, and this uh, lady who was serving us was complaining that she had a, a migraine and she was apologizing because she couldn't see her screen properly and she was talking about it with one of the other uh, staff there. And we were just kind of overhearing this whole conversation. And we'd done the whole process and Rich just said to her, can I pray for you? I, I'm a Christian, I believe that God heals. Can I pray for you? And I kind of awkwardly was like, hmm, this is brave. <laughs> Because we weren't the only people there. You know, there was other staff, there were other customers there, and everyone went, oh, this is interesting. What's going to happen here? And I went, this is interesting. <laughs> and Rich just prayed for this lady. And she, you could see she kind of welled up with emotion. And um, I don't know what happened to her, because we then had to go and pick up our car. I don't know if God instantly healed her but you could see that she was impacted, that people would even just take the time to just consider her struggle that she was going through that morning. And I, that's something we can all do, right? There's not anything particularly dramatic about, oh, hey, you're ill, or you're struggling, or this is difficult in your life. Can I pray for you? It's such an easy thing to do. I've done that numerous times with many people that don't know Jesus, and no one has ever said no. No one's ever said no. I'm not saying that they won't, <laughs> but that's been my experience. Whenever I've said that to someone, they might look completely terrified, um, and you don't have to pray for them there and then, but they, they normally don't say no. People are, are, are touched that you would even have been paying any attention to what's going on, 
in their lives. Now, I guess I'm going to finish with a, with a question for us, is what, what should we do? What, what's, what's our response? Should we, how do we respond to this Pentecost story? Well, I think what I want to say to us is that we need to realize as a church that we need the power of God. We do. That's why we pray. Every month we, we start the month on a Wednesday and we have a prayer meeting and we pray. And our prayer meetings, they're not just so we can gather and kind of pray nice blessings over one another. We're praying for God to work in power in our city. And, and last week on the stage, Jess was telling us about the prayer meeting and she said it's the most important meeting that we do. And she was right. It's the most important thing we do in the life of our church. Now you might think, hold on a second. Surely on a Sunday when we stand up and we preach the gospel, surely that's the most important thing. And Yes, obviously preaching the gospel is tremendously important. But let me just take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, where Paul says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. We need God. We need God. That's why we pray, because I know and we know that by ourselves, we, we, we can't do anything in this city. And we pray because we, oh, we need God. If, if, you, if there's one kind of uh, practice of what it means to be charismatic, it means we pray. It means we, we must pray, because how else are we going to do it? We need the power of God. And you might say, well, hold on a second, but that happened at Pentecost already. They prayed, and the Holy Spirit came on his people, therefore, that's done now. But you only have to read two chapters later in Acts chapter 4, where they're beginning to face persecution, where Peter and John are hauled before the religious authorities and they're told off and they gather and they have a prayer meeting and they pray and the Holy Spirit comes upon them again and fills them with boldness again for his mission. <laughs> and that's what the church, through the back of book of Acts, through history, keeps doing and we need to keep doing, is saying, God, we need you. We believe that you are sovereign. We believe that, Jesus, you're in charge, that this is your kingdom now, that you're risen, that you're alive, and we need you. And I can't understand. I don't, can't explain to you theologically how prayer works, but I know it works time and again. We've got many stories in this church where we've prayed for things, and God's done it. I've also got many stories of where we've prayed a really, really long time and God's eventually done it. And lots of stories as well where we're still praying for things and we will keep praying for things for a very long time in the hope that one day, in a way that we don't understand, God will move. And he will, because he does. Let me just read a quote from you, for you from um, uh, John Stott. Here we go. This is John Stott, who's a famous theologian, wrote an amazing book called The Cross of Christ. He said, what we need is not more learning, 
not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. Move on to the next slide. This is from Martin Lloyd-Jones, also a wonderful theologian from about 50 years ago. He said, the issue before us is the state of the Christian church, her weakness, her lethargy, which means like tiredness, with a world on fire, a world going to hell. We are the body of Christ, but what do we need? The power, the Pentecostal power. That's what we need, right? That's what we need. If we look around us, if we're really honest, this is just us, this is just a nice club, we're not gonna go very far. But I see the, the, the need in our city. And I think, well, God sent me here. God sent us here. So what are we going to do? And first, what we, what we do is we pray and we say, God, we need you. you know, it's good to have strategy and plans and organization, preaching of the gospel. All these things are very important. But if there isn't any power, they don't go very far. We need God. We need his Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. Let me just finish by, let me just read from the, these last couple of verses. This is how the people who were listening to Peter preach them, how they responded. It said, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Let me just pray for us and then we'll share communion together. Jesus, we, I just want to pray, Jesus, for anybody here that, that doesn't know you. I pray... Anyone here that doesn't know you but is asking that same question of what, what should we do? What do I do now? I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and help them to repent and to put their trust in you. To help them to turn away from their old lives and say, I don't understand it, but I know that Jesus is real and I want to follow him. I want to turn away, I want to ask forgiveness for all those things I've done. I want to put my trust in Jesus. I just pray if there's anyone there that's in that position, that you just come and speak to them now, that you'd reveal your love to them, reveal to them that they're totally forgiven, that they're loved by a, a Father who loves them dearly and richly. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that's what you do. You draw us into ever deeper love with God, with our Father, and I pray you do that in our hearts right now. I also pray for everyone here who's a believer in Jesus, who I'm sure we've got all sorts of questions about what I've just shared, but I pray more than anything else, you would put a, a hunger in us for more of you. That when we read verses like earnestly desire prophecy, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, that we wouldn't run away, or we wouldn't put that in a box, but we would open our hearts and say, okay, God, help me, help me to do that. Help me to desire you. I pray you put within all of us a desire, a hunger to pray and to seek you. 
and ask for more of your power to help us to reach this city. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.